Yeah, I'm Laura Rodriguez, and I am the mother of Adriana Bailey. And then not here is my husband, uh, Gaines Bailey. And basically, my daughter has always been really creative, and I'll let her speak to that. Um, and so she basically kicked off the idea of Dice Invasion. And then we've always been a big gaming family, very much in the, you know, 20 to 30 minute quick games, really family style stuff. And so nice. we conceived, totally fit into the kind of stuff we liked doing. And then we're like, well, if we like this, I bet other people will like this. And so it just started steamrolling rolling from there. I'm Adriana Bailey and Dice Invasion pretty much started with me kind of being bored. So I took out a piece of cardboard and decided that I wanted to make a game. It was just a piece of cardboard, um, eight by four board, and I took a couple of dice and went to my mom and asked if she could play with me. She asked what the rules were and I said, I don't know. So we started just deciding rules together until Dice Invasion was able to play test. And that was really awesome. It's time for an adventure in the worlds of user experience and game design. On season three of the Design Thinking Games podcast, join old school UXers and aspiring game designers Michael Schofield, Tim Broadwater, and an array of quirky characters from pixelated heroes to mischievous NPCs in search of the ultimate player experience. Design thinking is a process that is applied to different types of games in this podcast. If you're wondering whether your favorite games have already come up, you can listen through the backlog at designthinkinggames.com. Now, Rapid Protobot, fire the design thinking laser. I'm kind of wondering, I'm curious about when you said that you're, you're a gaming family. Like, can you speak to, like, like, what are the games you all like to play together? Like, what are the quick kind of startup games or play games you're talking about? Yeah, so um, it's funny because we're known as the family that makes you dress up if you play Clue. Like, I got costumes Perfect. for everybody. So you don't, like, accuse Miss White. You accuse Miss White sitting across the yeah. <laughs> That's great. And I would make people uh, select their pawns randomly. So a lot of times you have the biggest and the burliest men wearing the red gloves and the clip-on earrings for Miss Scarlet. <laughs> so, Amazing. You know, and then just any other kind of game. Stratego is a big one. Yahtzee. Um, I haven't heard someone mention Stratego. <gasps> in i think like 20 years this was my jam wow so i just had like a, a nostalgic bomb i love that it's actually like her favorite game and um, great choice yeah <laughs> inform some of the some of the game mechanics of dice invasion um except it takes out my least favorite parts of Stratego is where, like, you don't know who's coming towards you to attack. And I makes me very yeah. nervous. But with Dice Invasion, you know what's coming and you can prepare. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. I love it. And um, I commented last night because um, as we were kind of leading up to the show and kind of researching, you know, to to have this kind of podcast your three to four minute um game pitch you can tell this is someone who's been to a gaming con and it's like had to like say it over and over enough that they've kind of worked out because we've done the same thing before too it's yeah. something we comment all the time as like oh these are great games except nobody knows how to write instructions or or teach instructions because those are yeah. instructional design is a totally different practice and so like your the fact that well i i guess it fits into a tiktok now that they can be like 10 minutes long or whatever but it's super short really easy um and we're totally like we've been watching our account and the spirit of like we're gonna rip laura off <laughs> <laughs> so may i ask for both of you um you can't say dice invasion sorry but right now um 
off the top of your head, um, what is like a game that uh, you would say is uh, probably your most enjoyable, most usable game, favorite game or game? Even it can be from childhood or, or whatever. But apart from Dice Invasion, what games are you liking right now? Every so I'd say my favorite game would be Clue, which my mom really put a lot into making me like that game because we dress up and make it this whole thing. You don't even focus on the board. You're just looking at these other players <laughs> and that are literally right across the table from you. So I really like the strategy and different idea of that game. I think the fixture in our household, hands down, is Carcassonne. I mean, you cannot. Oh, yes. Wow, great one. Except um, since we don't have a lot of players, it's either just me and my husband and sometimes Adriana, um, we have nixed. Do you know the land rule? Where, like, mm -hmm. yeah, we took that out because my husband's too cutthroat. So we had to, like, make <laughs> it more family friendly. You mentioned where Dice Invasion started, but where is it now? Because I think you're starting to talk of the K-word, kickstarting it sometime. Um, and I don't know if, so if you could give us maybe a little journey, that would be great. I would love to. So, you know, we started in January and it was instantly something that, as you probably saw from my TikTok account, I just latched onto. It was the hobby I didn't know I needed. So I was like, thank you, kid. This is now where my spare time is going. And we just kind of kept pushing on the rules and getting it more polished. Um, and then we're lucky enough to discover the Game Designers of North Carolina, which is a local group of some of the smartest and coolest people I've ever met. And I'm like, where have you guys been my whole life also? And they're just giving all of this great advice and guidance. And I still haven't come to terms with like how giving this community is, how helpful and embracing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, up fast forward to now, April, we've gone to three game conventions this year, play testing at all of them. Um, one of the conventions, uh, I think it was called Playthrough. It was usually a video game conference. They had a little bit of board game in there. And I tell you, being that little bit of board game, we had so much play time. Everyone was like, oh, mm -hmm. I want to do something social instead of awesome. on this computer. Yeah. It was epic. And, and within that play testing um, two days is the most monumental changes to the rule where we feel like we finally nailed the rules of Dice Invasion. We found the balance, the fun, yeah. the amount of time it was happening in. And so, yeah, we're at the point where I'm actually drawing up a um, kind of a document to take to a graphic designer to say, she's a friend of mine, but I'm like, will you make this look as awesome as I think it could? And so what did you think about game conventions? Um, well, at first I thought I would be sitting around just watching my mom play test a bunch of people in games I wasn't part of. But then I, reali I realized I literally had so many games that people wanted me to come up and play test. There was a bunch of video games, which I really enjoyed, and different things I could do. So there was a bunch of different um, people who had cool little minifigures that oh, nice. I literally got to paint them. That was oh, nice. my favorite thing it's a whole experience and, and you're right. Like the community is very nice. They're very helpful. They're glad to have any play testing and they're happy to help with play testing. And if, and what we've kind of found with the podcast is that as we talk to game designers or people in the gaming industry adjacent, like people who set up conventions or people um, who create walkthroughs and facts and instructional guides for other games, um, all that, even the orbiting stuff, Stuff around gaming is it's a it's a very friendly powerful and supporting community um and so 
Uh, I'm glad that you've had a positive experience. Can I ask, like, I don't want to get too personal, but uh, can, what were the three cons that you went to? Do you remember? Yeah. So the first one was Tantrum Con in Charlotte. And it was so cool because I got to meet people from TikTok. And then I also had some people from the game designers designers of North Carolina there. So I didn't feel like an outsider. I already, I already felt like I knew people and I was hanging out and that was amazing. And then Tantrum Con, I'm sorry, Playthrough was like, I think two weeks after that. And that was the one I described. It was just nonstop play. And again, I knew people there and I was like, how am I indoctrinated already? This is insane. And then um, the East Coast Games Conference uh, was last week. And that's the one that um, Michael from Triangle Interactive found me on TikTok, said, will you come to our booth and play test? And I was like, when and where? Like, absolutely. And then Gen Con we're signed up for in August. So that's the whole goal for oh, nice. Kickstarter. Yeah. Let's say ideally it goes on Kickstarter. Everything's great. It's amazing. The game is successful. Is this a game studio? Like the family turns into a game studio? Do you have other game ideas coming up? Oh, no, it's so great because, um, you know, keeping it a hobby is definitely just ensuring that our hobby is fun and our family time is spent playing and creating. And so I think so when Dice Invasion is successful, got to manifest the good future, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we already have we a second game that we are working on, and it's a steampunk tile building kind of game. And Ooh. we had like a Friday night with the three of us sitting around a table, drawing up tiles and then play testing and thinking about game mechanics. And it's just so crazy that our family hangouts get to be this kind of collaborative thing. I think it's absolutely unreal. I think we were able to get everything off the ground and as mature as quickly as we could is because this sat in my pocket of expertise. And I think the number one thing that I was prepared for was just a growth mindset in general. I wanted it to get criticized. I wanted it to be bad because that's the only way I can make it better. And I just loved hearing all the things that weren't working. I was soaking it up like a sponge. And so I think it's not gonna get any better if you come in defensively or trying to convince people. And so I was very open to hearing, and I've learned so many things from everyone that's given me advice. Like I didn't know that my game gave the optics of an abstract strategy game when it's not, and that could be confusing. And I'm like, let me go to Google and figure out what they're oh, doing. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? What's, what's the for instance there? Yeah. So when you look at it, it's dice on a grid and it looks like you could project similar to chess, like multiple moves ahead to be strategic and that there isn't a lot of like luck involved, but that's quite the opposite because you have these cards that let you take actions that completely change the course of the game. And then the, the core game mechanic for attacking is a hundred percent luck. And so it's not at all like chess. It's not an abstract strategy game. And uh, if someone looks at it and they like those kind of games, then they would be disappointed. And vice versa, if someone likes the quality of game that we have, but it doesn't look like it, it's not attracting the right audience. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I love the ma the balancing is amazing on your game. Um, so I love the fact in combat that depending on where you are, the lower number, the higher number, you know, mathematically, it just makes it like, well, it's either difficult or easier, but if you're so close to each other, then it's really, um, it's a risk, right? And I love the battle structure and that if you get dice, you get more turns. I mean, it's just like really super cool. I'm imagining like, you and this is just a dice question, I guess. When you were designing it, did you just have um, when you said that you were bored and you were just wanting something to do? Uh, did you just have a bucket of dice? And I, I'm just kind of wondering. And then, how was that to relate? Do you think people will have their own dice, or will this game come with like a bunch of dice, or just anything you can tell me? Where'd you get the dice from? Well, I actually got it from a different game 
which was Sagrada. Yeah. Mm. And so I took their dice and just put them on my board. And then when we get to the manufacturing stage, this is where, kind of alluding to the problem I was discussing earlier, we are giving the dice a unique color, maybe even investigating um, wood to kind of make them feel more character and more pond-like. Um, and so that's a way that we're going to try to make it more Explore. Clear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes in like uh, talking to other uh, indie game designers, I don't really hear a ton about like the, the tactile role the the game plays in your ability to wrap your mind around it and 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 i i find that kind of like i find that really interesting it's not, it's not the look and feel it's like the as a little i mean it's the literal feel of the board plays yeah um plays that role in ability to play the game and that's when we're gonna get like overly analytical about card stock right on the cards <laughs> yeah yeah um i'm very i'm very invested to see as soon as your kickstarter launches i'm on board um and now that you've actually got solid play testing, you have solid um, user data or player data, I guess the player experience uh, about, hey, this is fun. People enjoy it. People get it. Now we can start to skin it um, and make it, you know, start to really uh, fidget with the design. How does it feel? Does it feel like it's almost done or is it like, does it feel like or is it stress that there's, I guess, more, too much to do still? It almost feels like the stuff I naturally gravitate to and our transferable skills from my day job are almost done. And now I'm getting into all the stuff that come with the learning curve. <laughs> so uh. this is where I have to find the grit. Like, am I shelving this like so many people tend to do with game ideas? Or am I actually going to learn manufacturing and, you know, work through contracting with the designer and I hear things like if I want to do this for ages eight and up, I need to go through like child, you know, what is it called? Where like it has to go through safety testing for children. And there are so many things that I don't know. And I'm just excited to learn and grow. And mm -hmm. it's also kind of scary at the same time. You were mentioning the core attack mechanic and how it's interesting because depending on the value of the die, you're either trying to roll the summer higher or the summer lower with the decision dice. That was the very first thing that we discussed when she came in front of me that one day with a piece of cardboard. And I was like, all right, let's attack like this. And our scope of games is so limited, right? We only know what we know. And we were never part of this bigger board game community. So for us to get as much exposure as we had through TikTok and through these conventions, and for nobody to tell us that that exists anywhere, it's like, what? How? Like, I'm still waiting. And so the fact that we really bring something like unique is what makes me so excited about bringing this to market because I don't feel like I'm kind of redundant or similar to anything else. Like we actually have something interesting to to share. And that that makes me motivated about the time and money investment this will take. Okay, I'm game. Let's play. Okay, agile methodology, waterfall or lean? I don't know what those are. UX FMK is the hottest UX book on this side of the internet. Tim Broadwater, our very own certified UX unicorn, takes the all too familiar premise of the original FMK game and wrote a book that invites you to take a deep dive into U.S., what doesn't work, and how royally things can be screwed up. Listen on Audible or pick up UXFMK anywhere books are sold, but especially Amazon. How 
did you get into UX? How did you even know you liked UX? Uh, can you give us a little bit of your UX backstory or elevator pitch? Because um, I see you've been at IBM as a UXer for a while. Yeah. Um, so if you had to go like true origin story, that would be high school where uh, they had a mandatory intro typing class you had to take. And I already know how to type. And so I was talking to my guidance counselor and I was like, I really don't want to take that class. She's like, well, you could take this graphic design class, but you know, it usually requires this intro class. Can she kind of leaned forward. She's like, you sure you know how to type? I was like, I do. And so I got put in this graphic design class. I had no idea what it was, but we just got to like play on the pretty Mac computers and do offset printing and screen printing and just the whole shebang. And so um, as when I got to the point that I graduated high school and I had to think about college, that was literally the only class I liked. And so I ended up an undergrad in graphic design and there were things about it that I liked, but I wasn't like, I didn't care or have passions about fonts or color palettes. Um, I didn't Sam. hate Comic Sans. I'm like, I don't know, it's not that bad. And so I, I found people around me who were so passionate and good about things that I was not passionate and good at. And so that was really confusing for me. And I ended up going back to um, graduate school at NC State for a master's in design. And that whole program is just the most amazing you know, graduate program because it literally lets you introspect on who you are and what design means to you and then get good at that. So in our classrooms, nice. we're like specializing in very different things. And the aha moment for me, do you remember Second Life? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. And so I was doing just like a design study of Second Life because, you know, for example, the buddy list when you log on looks just like the buddy list I had on American Instant Messenger when I was in middle school. And I was like, why isn't this better? They could be doing so much more. And I got into like design investigations for Second Life. And the more I got into it, I started to realize, you know, the whole premise of Second Life, it's not a game. There's no win. It's just you live. Yeah a version of yourself that you want in a virtual world. And there are people who have psychosocial disorders where they literally like their virtual life more than their physical life. And something about that made me so indebted that their experience is only as good as we make it as designers. Like we owe it to them their best life possible. And that was the click for me um, in terms of like feeling very passionate about user experience and then it's the rest is history from there. Yeah, I, I think um, I think the new the the hot newness, right? I don't know Second Life, but I think VR Chat is probably the thing that's now. I don't know if you've seen it, but you go in there and it's just all these people interacting, and like some look like people, and some are parrots, and some are like different animal human hybrids, and they're all some are cartoon and some are realistic. It's just so wild, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting because I was never comfortable in Second Life. Like, it was, like, very abnormal for me to be moving in that way, and, and I wasn't comfortable talking to strangers. And um, isn't there something like chat roulette where people just, like, randomly get paired oh, with yeah. people? Like, yeah. that's not at all. And I actually, like... No over-empathized with the, the demographic group that needed Second Life in a way that I couldn't relate to. And so I kind of shifted into being interested in, in Facebook. And my thesis was around Facebook because um, that was just easier for me emotionally to handle because I just, I'm too much of an empath. It would have been really, really hard for me to build a, a big focus there. And that related to IBM and me getting into UX there because we were doing social collaboration tooling. Um, like your history with gaming in general, as a kid, I mean, what kind of gamer would you describe yourself as? Or I guess they're like, um, you've mentioned some board games and, and also some like a uh, second life, but it's um, just kind of wondering your backstory for gaming. So I don't know if, funny enough, I was not 
huge on board games as a kid. I don't have like really deep memories associated with any particular game. And I think maybe it's because I had an older sister and I probably always lost and <laughs> it made me. Um, but Super Nintendo was my jam. Donkey Kong on Super Nintendo to this day is like my number. Donkey Kong Country. There you go. Yes. <laughs> I remember being obsessed with finding all the, oh my God, what was it? Barrels? You had to find these hidden barrels or something? I can't remember what it was. It's been so long. You did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so more of a video game background as opposed to board gaming then, or tabletop gaming. Yeah, definitely more of a video game background and just generally being a really, you know, creative kid who was always very artsy and in her own world and creating stories and poetry. And so I've always been like really tuned into the artsy side, but gaming in the kind of board game sense really came out of, you know, in marriage and and with my daughter and us, you know, I think with everyone, the pandemic especially was an explosion and that kind of activity. We did really kooky things like um, a lot of tea parties where we would dress up and then put on a kooky accent. And it's like, this day feels different than yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) It's everyone I feel like had to do their own thing to get through. Yeah. I know people who um, they probably did more outdoors walking like during COVID than they did, you know, their whole life. So our podcast, um, you know, is very much about the player experience. And it was started with this experiment that like, hey, we think that UXers like games and gamers are UXers and product designers and gamers are, are the same people. And we're wondering if we're true. And then by the time we got to season two, we're like, yep, it's not only true, uh, but there's tons of people out there on both sides, whatever name you want to call it. And so I guess the question is, is can you speak to a little bit about how your career and experience and the skill sets for user experience um, and the crossover um, or things that you've found interesting or just anything you could speak to really um, with the intersection between like UX design and game design. Yeah. Play testing, user testing, you know, kind of. So, so since I typically do product software design, um, game design was like, a physical manifestation of everything I would do on the computer, where I would literally create a prototype and I would get user feedback and I would iterate. And so all of those things were so familiar, but in these different medium, and that made it really interesting. And that's why I didn't initially know there would be so much overlap. And so as soon as I started to get into the things that felt familiar, it was very exciting. I was like, oh, I'm good at this. I'm going to be good at that. And I was able to bring so much to the table. And it's why, you know, me being a, you know, new to game design, I was able to create a TikTok account where I'm giving advice on game design. Like that's cuckoo, but like, no, there's just so much here that I'm using and I want you guys to know about it, you know? And such a big part of it is um, having the right mentality an approach to it and um, keeping a a good head on your shoulders because so much of it is getting feedback. And if you're not approaching it correctly, you could be taking it personally. It could be ruining your day versus being invigorated by it and excited. The first Mm -hmm. Game Designers of North Carolina meetup that I went to, they just murdered my game when they were talking about it and telling me all these things that wouldn't work. And I was drooling. I was like, yeah, and, and, and it just could not have been, I was sitting there thinking like, man, this is awesome. I was so excited about hearing how bad it was with some of the things that we hadn't figured out yet. When you start to see the the user data or the player feedback start to roll in, you're like, yes, yes, now I have stuff to work with. And you create mini mantras. So like, as I kind of go through and I'm creating a special action card, I'm thinking, does this, um, is this too cruel to the other person? Like if this comes in and it undoes your move, is that person going to get demotivated? So I try to think about how motivational each of these cards could be. And then if I'm going to do something else, I'm thinking, all right, I want gameplay to be 
15 to 20 minutes. Is this going to extend game plan necessarily, or can we kind of keep it um, as an advantage of making the game move quicker? And so it's been awesome to kind of pick up all of these mantras throughout. And, and that's why the second game we're working on, we're having fun because we already have so much knowledge that we've learned from this that is instantly transferable to that other one. I'm also curious, and um, anything super surprising or super game-changing or hilarious that you encountered through um, your playtesting? I think, like, on the UX side, I'm always impressed or, like, always shocked at, like, what user data we get back when we do, like, user testing or something. And so, um, and it's kind of the same with playtesting. When we went to, the first con we went to was PAX Unplugged in Philly. I'm just wondering, anything crazy, funny, or just ground breaking you found through playtesting i'm always curious what you find you know oh man i wish i wish there was something particularly funny but i can't think of anything off the top of my head the the only thing that it makes me think of is you know in my mind i think of the the milestone kind of I'll, I'll call it like a catalyst, like a moment where like a huge change happened in the game. And that's always like tied to a very specific gameplay interaction. And so I kind of have in my head these meaningful moments when I think of the different game mechanics. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember when so and so got really mad about that card and we had to pull it out. And so I, I think it's kind of fun to have a mental map of how this game evolved based on different moments in time. Um, Adri, is there anything funny with you about playtesting or how this has come together? What did you think about it? Yeah, I'm curious, like, when you put your game out there, your game, and other people are playing it, what it, what did you, what was that like, and what did you find? I remember that I was nervous at first, but then people were really, like, supporting, and like my mom said, they kind of wanted to hear more about the game, especially when it's smaller because they want to support you. Yeah. I also surprisingly found a lot of my friends at game conventions. Oh, cool. Eleanor and Jordan. So it was nice to see them. Did you know that they were into gaming before or or just kind of you saw each other out and were like, ah? Well, I was actually really surprised to see them there. I didn't know they went to game conventions. And she was really like conned up, dressed um, to the nines. And then the next day she was like, paint my face. <laughs> I'm going dressed up. <laughs> I was like, oh. okay. Was she a cosplayer then, or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Part of what makes me kind of motivated to stay active on TikTok is that hope that when it comes to August and Gen Con being as big as it is, that that'll end up being a, you know, I'm walking around just finding people and, and kind of connecting with those people. It's totally going to happen. Yeah. Can't wait. Are you playtesting there? Or can I ask, is it a booth or uh, what is it you're doing at Gen Con? Um, yeah, I've actually made my husband set up all the reservations so I don't know what it's called off the top of my head but yeah we're getting a play testing slot I think it's two or four two hour slots or something like that and literally tomorrow we have to be emailing them back with kind of the synopsis of our game and the times that we want and it's so amazing they tell you um, you know what kind of demographics do you want playing your game you could literally say 33 year old females and we will get it for you and I'm like Wow. Whoa. So right now we're having to decide, are we sticking to our guns that this is two player or are we going to try to make four player work? And four player right now kind of feels like just because you can doesn't mean you should. It doesn't really bring value. Um, so, yeah. I completely understand that. Once you go to um, solo to player versus player or cooperative or three player, four player, they're different uh, uh, lenses of complexity that you're adding because now new we've changed things and rules have to change and uh, but how do we not change the core game right and like logically it makes sense but then when you're experiencing it you're like god I'm still waiting for my turn and like you know we want to mm. kind of keep the game feeling quick fast and fun it doesn't really come through at the players yet but maybe we, funny enough, we are kind of, we've only, our game is also four players, we're hoping, fingers crossed. Um, 
but we've only done two players and two players speed feels great um but i'm kind of scared to start testing three players or four players just because did we just make a four hour long game i didn't mean to do that you know yeah. Like the side effects would be terrifying because let's say, I mean, the, the one option is that your two player game feels great, but as soon as you go to four players, you realize like the mechanics have to change. So, how much do you change the two player game because of that, you know, or or whatever? Um, there's so many variables that uh, kind of wig me out. <laughs> it is. It's so true. And the, you know, with our game, you're attacking dice and then capturing them. And so very quickly you end up with this disparity where someone gets way behind and then they're just having this sense of like, why am I even here? You know, like I don't even have a chance of winning. And so, you know, trying cooperative and then, you know, like getting the dice confused, like, wait, is that you, is that me? It's like, ah, I'm not looking for all of that. So I think we're gonna do blind play testing um, where it's like, read the rules, pretend I'm not here. Does this stand on its own? Like we have to confidently do that before we put this out on a Kickstarter. So at the last place we were play testing, um, I had played with an individual or kind of helped him learn the game with someone else. And he caught on to the strategy so quick. Like he got it. I was like, ooh, this guy's gonna kill. And he kind of later on, walked by the table while someone else was asking about the game. And they asked me a question and he jumped in and started explaining the game and talking about a turn. And I stood back. I was like, yes, that's amazing. <laughs> that is also another KPI. Well, yes. it's other people taking your game. Yeah. Excited to teach it and talk about it. And I was just like, oh, my job here is done. This is amazing. I went home so happy that day. <laughs> Well, it must feel great for both of you to to have kind of this kind of positive feedback that people kind of enjoy the game because um, such a long way to come for just a couple. We're only so many months into 2023. So um, it's very it seems like it's been pretty fast paced for you all. I am humbly integrating myself into this community and everyone else knows so much more than me. So if you want to reach out, reach out with advice and guidance, please don't hesitate to tell me something I could be doing that I don't know. So like all advice is solicited. So there's that. Um, we're going to be on TikTok as long as TikTok exists because I cannot juggle more than one social media platform. And so yeah. feel free to follow and see whatever, you know, I come up with that day. And then obviously any support for our Kickstarter and our game would be amazing because I can assure you that what we give you, we will personally be invested in and think is a great thing. Um, so yeah, we are at Dice Invasion on TikTok. We're diceinvasion at gmail.com. And then diceinvasiongame.com. And that's where we are getting kind of a, you can send us your email address and we'll let you know about updates and stuff like that. You could also get our print and play. Can you hear me? Good to have you back with us. I hope you don't mind that I am recording for investigative notes. It's a wax cylinder, the only thing we've found that can pick up the voices of people in your condition. My name is Owen Von Sid. I am a reclaimer. Do you know what that means? No? Well, I am sorry to inform you that you didn't make it. Please try to remain calm. The worst is over. Nothing can hurt you, not ever again. But the thing that did this to you, it is still out there. That is what we do. I wake unfortunate souls, such as yourself, hear their stories, then my associates and I see to it that whoever or whatever did this to you is dealt with. Now, let's begin. When you are ready, tell me, how did you die? Ghost Wax is an anthology horror podcast from Far and Tall Tales Productions. New episodes releasing weekly. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts.
You're going to get 12 questions. I, I want to ask, do you have a D12 at all? Like a 12-sided dice? I don't. Okay. It's no problem. I've got us covered, so don't cover. Yeah. How this will work is we're going to ask you a question. Um, think of it like inside the actor's studio. Weird question out of left field. Question number one. What is your favorite design tool? My favorite design tool is... Figma. I knew it. <laughs> I was going to say, that is the correct answer, but no. <laughs> of course. <laughs> what is your favorite card game? My favorite card game right now is, oh, what's it called? One second. I love it. <laughs> There's an off-camera game shelf. <laughs> so, Rainbow Bunny Bop. Oh, can you give us like a one-sentence pitch yeah. of what Rainbow Bunny Bop okay. is? Yeah, what is um, so with Rainbow Bunny Bop, you have a deck of cards that are shuffled, and they represent all colors of the rainbow, and you have to be uncovering them and putting them in rainbow order quicker than your opponent's. Oh, awesome. Nice. It's it's a very intense uh, game that you can play with all ages. It's mm, really fun. <laughs> what game, in your opinion, should everyone play at least once? Um, it's called Outrage. And it's like getting the, the crown jewels and it's you're within the Tower of London and that game is really awesome. I think everyone should play that if they haven't. That sounds awesome. Next question. What is your color mode? Color mode? RGB, Antone, CMYK, HSLA. Oh, hex. Hexadecimal. Yeah. <laughs> Next one is in games. Are you Paragon or Renegade? Do you usually take the good path, or are you take are you an evil character? Oh, I'm I'm evil, but I'll make you think I'm good path. So I'm gonna be tricking you. <laughs> nice, I love that. <laughs> Next question. What game for you is a guilty pleasure? You know, this is so dorky, but um, we got this at Playthrough, and it's called Chroma Cube. And it's literally this puzzle game where it gives you all of these um, tiles that you have to lay out on a grid, and it tells you clues of how to lay them out i don't know how to explain this better but this is something that i'll be in front of my family and i'm just ignoring them because i am just <laughs> on this and trying to get it down and it is the most um after you follow the hints you'll see if you laid it out correctly and this has been my guilty pleasure recently <laughs> nice nice <laughs> That's halfway through. Six more questions to go. Okay. If you could make up any UX title to give yourself any, what would it be? Um, user experience wizard. I love it. It's great. Do you have a preferred genre? Alternate history, fantasy, cyberpunk, you know, horror, action adventure. What is your genre? All of the fiction that's like techno thrillers are my favorite, where they kind of assume a future. And not always yeah. with it being dystopian, but people just kind of conceiving what could be, I think is always really fun. Mm-hmm. 
Nice. These are good answers, by the way. These are really good. Next question. Describe your favorite dice. My favorite dice are from this game called Dice Invasion. And they have <laughs> hand-painted <laughs> hand to match the... Uh, the color of a set of pens I saw on the anthropology website. <laughs> I was like, I like this color palette and I stole it. <laughs> nice. Silly answer. What is your reaction? Just your gut reaction, visceral reaction. When you hear UI UX. Honestly, I feel like you can't get hung up on the terms too much because all of these things are so blurry anyways. Um, and so give yourself whatever title makes you sleep at night. That's fine. But, you know, I have so much of research in me and I see engineering's do so much design thinking and people who are visual designers are doing UX stuff. And so we can give ourselves whatever titles we want. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to make products that are self-evident and intuitive and there are many terms for that. Nice. Far too rational answer. <laughs> we were expecting for a, or like, you know, <laughs> sorry. Other people are like, oh, absolute cringe. Yeah, no. no, that's great. <laughs> Two questions left. Favorite, any type of game. Favorite game villain? Well, right now, isn't it Bowser? Because Jack Black is amazing and he's like killing that role. Oh my God. Yes, there you go. That's a great answer. <laughs> Final question. What is the most overrated game? I think the game Sorry is overrated. That game sucks. And whenever people are like, sorry, I want to hit them in the nose. So, Yeah, I'm thinking you're literally just moving based on numbers, right? I don't think there's any anything strategy or barely even randomness in it. This is the Sorry Hate podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest thing is that if someone is on your space and you come out of the home and then you send them back, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. It's a... Uh, it seems grueling for no other reason except to be grueling. Get ready for the game that's hockey 12s what you've got. 12 questions got to be As the listeners may know, last year, you know, for, we were doing a Patreon, and if you supported us on Patreon, you got the episodes ad-free and early, which was cool. Anyone who's been like listening with us from season one and who will uh, enjoy season three know that we are iterating a lot. And one of the big things we're iterating on is like what we're spending time on. There's probably like a whole interesting episode or like side thing about like why we chose to back off Patreon, but we backed off Patreon. We would love it if people would donate to us. Please head over there and support us if you like. We're going to put some content and stuff there, but it's not going to be exclusive. Previously on Design Thinking LARPing. As our heroes start to blend in with the LARPers, Tim and Michael notice that something very strange is happening. The LARPers seem to be taking their roles too seriously, and the fantasy world they are creating seems to be coming to life. Yeah. 
bend the reality of this world to our will. Now, my wizards and sorcerers, we shall use Rapid Protobot to elevate LARP above all types of fun. Design Thinking LARPing is a story about heroism. The script is written by a poorly trained AI and it is performed by your poorly trained heroes. Enjoy! <laughs> now, imagine, if you will, that the camera pans away from our heroes, Tim and Michael, who become overwhelmed by and indistinguishable from the crowd as they take shelter. And there, instead, we see Rapid Protobot descending into the fray from the main stage, dressed in the eldritch purple cloaks of the evil laughers. No, they took it! Just wait. Let's go stop something! Rapid Protobot appears to have joined them. I will use my advanced prototyping abilities to defeat the sorcerer. I will comply to help us complete our quest. Oh my god, it's so hard to watch. It's so lame. I think something's happening. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, I am Rapid Protobot, working absolutely without any subterfuge. Did it just wink at us? <laughs> you go, little buddy. It doesn't have eyelids. Can't you see? It's LARPing. It's LARPing against the LARPers. That's absolutely mad. Mad like a fox. As Rapid Protobot continues to LARP with the group, it appears they have accepted him as their leader. Noble Knights, we shall approach the castle stealthily and take the sorcerer by surprise. They listen to his every command and follow him without question. Are you with me? Michael and Tim watch in disbelief as Rapid Protobot leads the charge toward the castle. The other groups of people who were previously crying start to cheer as they see the LARPers charge toward their imaginary enemy. I told you, he's LARPing against the LARPers and he's doing a damn good job at it. Find out in the next episode of Design Thinking Games the fate of our heroes, Tim, Michael and, of course, Rapid Protobot, the most delightful of the three. The story continues. Thank you for listening and connecting with Design Thinking Games on TikTok, Twitch, and Twitter. You can also check out designthinkinggames.com to request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, game on. Any final thoughts for our listeners, Rapid Protobot? Destroy. Destroy.